Good afternoon, everyone. What a fantastic time it is to open up the Word of God. So again, if you have a Bible, and you should hopefully by now, open it up, please, to the book of Exodus. That's our second book. Ech is the, Hebrew, is the Greek word for auda. Chodas is the word for road or path or way. So the book literally means the way out. We are in a beautiful part of our text, as has been read. We are now in our ninth of ten plagues. And if you kind of go, wow, this is going to be really uplifting. Plagues, that sounds like a great time. It really is. I don't know how many of you have enjoyed it as much as I have, but we've really looked at eight of the ten plagues already. And with each one of them, there is a direct correlation between that which Egypt worshipped, and to be honest, that which we struggle with as, as people, as human beings. The very things from our own pride to our self-reliance, all of those things that sort of are laid out, to be honest, in any culture, sometimes they're just given a figurehead. Sometimes they're not. Uh, in Egypt, every one of them had faces, normally like some kind of crazy animal, normally the body of a human being. We're going to see a little bit of that even today. God has been systematically taking down every bit of Egypt so that when Israel leaves out of Egypt, they have really no intelligent reason to return. The most amazing thing is they'll still want to anyways. Now, please don't ever just believe what I say. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the final say. Let the Bible always be that for which you test and hold all things to be true or false. But listen where we're at at the moment. We are roughly 34, 3500 years ago. We are in the middle of Egypt. And by this point, the people have been so defiled by blood and by flies and by fleas and by boils. The land has been decimated by the water turning to blood to mounds and mounds of dead frogs, to dead livestock everywhere, to the land being pummeled by hail and then completely eaten up by the locusts. There is nothing to return to. God has this way of making Egypt, the place you came from before you said yes to Jesus, making it just flat out ugly. What's amazing is how things don't stay ugly for long. In a case like this, God will make it so that there is no bridge left burnt, to be burnt. Pharaoh will be dead by the end of this. His whole army will be dead by this. But there's no land that you would want to go back to. I remind you, 430 years ago when this started, Israel wound up in Egypt because it was the only place that had bread. Everywhere else in the world seemed to be a famine except this one place. By the way, by the blessing of a dream or two that God had given to a young Hebrew boy that had been sold into slavery into Egypt named Joseph. The reason why the entire nation of Israel at that time, only 70 people, went into Egypt, well, to be honest, was because they, were wanted to, they didn't want to die. And it was the only place that had food. Now, God had promised this all the way back in Genesis 15 when he told Abraham that his generations, or the, the people who have come from his own loins, would be, would be slaves in a, a land that was not theirs for 400 years, for four centuries. And then afterward, they would come out with great possessions. Well, now in that fourth generation, just as God had promised, God had raised up a man named Moses. And off we go, taking down systematically one God after another. Now understand, it basically runs like this. Two are warned, one isn't. Two are warned, one isn't. 
Um, in the first two, the Nile had turned to blood. Then there was the, the plague of frogs. Each one of them, by the way, things that people worshipped in Egypt. Both of those, Pharaoh had been warned. And then came the fleas or the parasites, which there was no warning. Then came the flies. And if you remember, those flies were the ones that ate at your flesh and then buried their larvae underneath your skin. Doesn't that just give you a warm fuzzy? But they had been warned, as they had been for the livestock that would follow. But then came the boils, and again the boils came without warning. Then came the hail, which Pharaoh had been warned by, the locusts, which Pharaoh had been warned by. And now we're at number nine, and by virtue of the proper number, we're at an unwarned plague again. We are at the second to last plague before this whole thing shuts down. But let me just wet your whistle with this thought. And I don't know if you've really thought much about this. But listen how this plays out as it prepares us for 1,400 years later where just north of there in a little town called Bethlehem, well, another family has a child. Now, understand that before that time, shortly after this, roughly a few hundred years after this, there will be a family, a woman and her husband and her sons. Two sons, by the way, their sons' names are sick and tired. That's what their sons' names are. Who names their sons that? Well, it gives you an idea, so it shouldn't surprise us when they die. Well, anyways, there is Bethlehem, by the way, Bet means house, Lechem means bread. So it's the house of bread, and what God tells us is that there was no bread in the house of bread. And so the woman goes east. As she goes east, her husband dies, her two sons, sick and tired, they die. And the woman at this point is left now as a widow with her two widower da- widow daughters as well. One of which, her name in essence, Orpa Orpa, means gazelle or deer. And oh dear, she flees when, when mom gives her the chance. The other one, we know her as friend, or the Hebrew word for friend is grut. says, I'll go where you go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your God will be my God. I'm not leaving you. And from that, we get one of the most beautiful love stories in all of Scripture. A family goes east, meets a girl from there, brings her back, introduces her to her Redeemer. And by the way, for what it's worth, that's why we gave our precious little girl, Ruthie, the name Ruth. Well, interesting, because God moved that famine idea up to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, then afterwards, a Savior is born, which we'll be celebrating in a little more than a month, won't we? About a month, isn't it? Think about this with me. God took down the Nile, which was the source of life, which, by the way, the idea was the source of life comes to us. Then God took down the goddess of, that was a frog-faced goddess. She was, her name was Heck, as in what the heck? And she was the goddess of birth. And then from that came the fleas with the me-first attitude, the idea of temptations. And then from that came the flies and the idea of that of purity, consistent purity, in which case they would lose. Then the livestock, where people worship that of their strength to the point of their own mortality, dealing with the issue of boils. And then if you remember when we went through the issue of hail, the area of control. Then came locusts, where we looked at Seth, who was, by his own deception and his pride and his betrayal, betrayed the rest. 
and in doing so was put away. And ultimately now we're brought to darkness. The last of them, of course, will be the death of the firstborn son. Now, listen to this again. The source of life comes, then there's the birth, then there's the temptation, then there's the elongated purity, then there's the strength, then there's the raising of the dead, then there's the issue of control or the battle over control, there's the pride and the betrayal, then comes darkness, and then comes the death of a firstborn son. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Because that's exactly the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The source of life, God himself came and was born as man. From that, he comes at 30, presents himself, and is brought to temptation. But the Bible says he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. This is really important. Because the only way that anyone could actually be a substitute for your guilt is that they would have to have no guilt to pay themselves. Enter Jesus. God knows the only person qualified to pay for your sin is himself. And he's the one you've offended. That's the beautiful part of all of this. But as he does then, and he takes that temptation, all he had to do was fail once, and failing once would have disqualified him from paying for our sins, but he doesn't. And then in that ultimately shows himself pure in his Galilee ministry. And then, of course, shows his strength over everything. Then comes the control freaks, those the religious leaders of Jerusalem, who plot, and then through Judas's betrayal and pride, We'll bring Jesus to that place where ultimately there will be three hours of darkness. And at the end of those three hours of darkness will be the death of God's only begotten, his firstborn son. The good news is it doesn't end there because ultimately we will leave Egypt and then as we turn and watch God part the sea, we will watch all of the enemy washed away in front of us, never again to be a threat. In our text here, God is now taking down something very personal to Pharaoh. Pray with me one more time, if you would, please. And let's watch God do some amazing things. At least I, I assume he will. Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is active and alive, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to divide joints and marrow, soul and spirit, discerning tents and thoughts of the heart. God, thank you. And I pray for that fresh anointing upon me, God, that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. God, that you would speak to every one of us today, every one of us. Lord, that there'd be nobody that doesn't get personally addressed within the sound of this voice. That God, you know where we're at and you know what to speak and how to say it in a way that we all could understand. So please do that today. Lord, I pray for that supernatural ability to be attentive. That supernatural ability to retain that which you tell us and to apply it to our lives. And God, in that today, please minister to us that we would hear, that we would see, that we would know. And God, that we would fall in love with you even as you have with us. That you'd bring us to the cross and we would say, Hallelujah, my sins have been paid for. You'd bring us to the tomb and we'd say, Hallelujah, I have new life. And in that, that you would turn us into people, Lord, who love each other, who passionately love you, who crave your word and thrive in fellowship and and have a a sensationally intimate prayer life. That you'd make us world changers in this world around us. So God, I pray now that you would just now take your word and bust it open. Make every second count, I pray. So have your way, I pray. May we have so much fun in your word now. Father, in Jesus' name, amen. 
The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness which may even be felt. Moses Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Now, go ahead and flip this slide if you would, Lauren. Let me tell you a little story, and I want you to know this is folklore. This is not what the Bible teaches. But there is this guy, and his name is Amon. And for what it was worth, basically, they kind of viewed him as the creator, the one who kind of created everything. But the problem is, is one of the things that he had created, go to the next slide if you would, please, is one guy named Ra. And Ra, by the way, was sort of the goddess of the sun, or the god, I'm sorry, of the sun. And what happened is, is that this guy just got so much glory because of him lighting up the sky that, well, to be honest, Amon seemed to be a bit jealous of it. So, next slide. As a result of that, the two of them, Amon, by the way, would kind of show himself, of course, more of an pharaic kind of way, but Ra, by the way, was actually the one who could present himself like a man. So the two of them converge and ask, well, why don't we actually, because what Ra really wanted was the throne. And so what happened is the two of them said, well, why don't we just become one person? And as a result of that, next slide, the two of them basically, he offers, then uh, Amon offers him then, those, by the way, if, if you're aware of those things, uh, the Ankh on the left and so forth, were signs, by the way, of the upper and the lower Egypt and the ruling over it, over both of them. And so the idea of this is that the two of them could actually rule to, as one over everything. One, one more slide, I think. Is that right? And of course, as a result of that, then they become one person. And sort of that's the idea. So now people sort of worshipped, or they did, Amon-Ra. And the idea of that was just kind of two that kind of melded into one. Now, uh, by the way, if you're familiar with the most famous pharaoh, he kind of went, at least as of the 21st or 20th century, um, the one who kind of went on tour through Western Europe and that of, of America's. Do you remember what his name was? Tutankhamen, remember that? But that's Tut, Ankh, and Amen. And his name actually means, may Amen live forever, is kind of the idea of it. So, give you an idea that Ankh is the idea of something eternal. Amen, like the guy Amen. That was the idea of that. Now, for what it's worth now, the people, basically, this is what the idea was, is they kind of believed that Amen was sort of a creator, and with that then, he created Ra, and Ra would cry. That was kind of the idea of rain, and when he cried, it created people, and that's how people were created. And they were created, and literally the term is, the cattle of the gods. The idea was that the people were basically the God's cattle. They get to watch them for entertainment. That was kind of the idea, which plays, of course, into our text here. And so the people then were required to kind of keep their cattle alive so that they could offer them to Amon-Ra. That was something they knew. The problem was that Egypt isn't looking so good right now. By this point, the only cattle that exists in all of Egypt, well, is in Goshen, where the Israelites are. All the rest of them have been decimated by the hail... Um, or they've been taken inside and then ultimately there's nothing left for them to eat because the locusts had eaten everything green beyond that. Now, if you recognize that, here's the crazy part, is that the way that they viewed Pharaoh is that they viewed him that he wasn't really a human, but he wasn't really a god. Now, I didn't know that there was a third category, but apparently other is where Pharaoh fit in. And because he really wasn't either, he could really work kind of as a go-between, as a mediator between man and God was the idea. But his mediating was the idea of just basically keeping God from forcing all kinds of horrible things upon the people for their sport and keeping the people from angering the gods. That was kind of the idea. And so Pharaoh was really responsible for all of that. So the reason I say that is, is when everything goes dark, 
The people are going to try to look to Pharaoh. Of course, they're not going to be able to see him anyways because it's, it's dark. But if they could, they would be looking at him going, what's the deal here? This is your job to keep this going. And by this point, the entire world has frayed to nothing. And that puts us in our text. And you can drop that off and just go back to the um, text if you would, learn. We don't need to stare at that thing forever. Now, here's the idea in all of this. Is that God now is taking everything that they could be worshiping and now left it to where they are completely sitting still. Now, please understand, this is something God will do in the lives of many people in many different ways for the same reason. There gets this point, and, and, and I can say this, um, having watched an American football game as of recent, it was Thanksgiving this week for the Americans, although I really do think that the Brits should be celebrating it more because it kind of got rid of us, but that's another story. But in the, uh, in the American football game, there comes this moment right at two minutes before it's over, which, by the way, is another great reason to have about 15 more commercials and so forth. But where they get to stop everything and kind of sit down with their teams and having played football pretty seriously, I know what it's like for... Um, I know what it's like to kind of sit down with my coach and go, this is it. If we're going to win this game, this is the moment where we really decide what we're really going to do to make this happen or not. And there comes these moments where everything is just about to shut down, where God will stop everything in your life and you'll hate it because you're so... What we find in Scripture is that sin has this way of crescendoing, has this way of speeding things up because if it doesn't speed up, you can slow down enough to think about how stupid it is what you're doing. So what happens is it talks about even feet that are quick to rush to evil. And there's a reason for that. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's amazing how quick you'll run to a party, but how slow you'll drag your feet to church. Because somehow in all of that, it's like, you've got to do it now. And have you ever heard that? It's like, hey, you need to, this needs to happen. It needs to happen now. Come on, Jeffrey, it has to happen now. And you kind of know the moment it's fast, you kind of go, mm, maybe I should stop. And then, no, no, you don't have time to think about it. It needs to happen. And you get the idea when that happens, a lot of times that's the enemy just trying to speed things up in such a way so you don't have time to really let the Holy Spirit really get a hold of you. Now, the reason I say that is, is that God has this way of stopping your world for a moment to ask, hey, hey let me ask you something. Are you really, do you, are you sure you want to do this? You know, and, and maybe sometimes that's sickness, I'll be honest. You know, you just get laid out. Now you're in a place where you think things are going really well, and then boom, all of a sudden you're there and you're like, ah, I, like, if I sit up, my nose runs. If I lay down, my head hurts. And I'm, you know, and I, I don't want to, but you're so miserable. No one wants to be near you anyways because you're contagious in that misery. And, you know, and so you're just laying there. And at those moments, God's like, okay, now that I have you alone for a little bit, can we, can we talk? Are you, are you really sure you want to do this? Sometimes that's losing your job, your car breaking down. Oh, God forbid your iPhone stops to work or runs out of, out of battery. And all of a sudden, there you are, and you're staring, and you're going, I'm going to go nuts. And you realize, it's almost like we're addicted to getting more information every second. And God's like, stop, stop. What do you have to do when God shuts the lights off of everything for three days? It says they didn't even leave the house, but why would you? Because you realize that's why God made toes, right? It's to find furniture in the dark. Well, you realize at that point, all you really have to do is lay there and go, all right, let me really think this through. And understand, God isn't doing this for the Israelites at this point. God's doing this for the Egyptians. He's doing it for the Egyptians because what he really, really wants is for them to come too. He 
really wants for them to leave. And one of the ways they're going to realize that, and please, please, please hear me, one of the ways they're going to realize that was when they look at the houses in Goshen. The houses in Goshen, that's the area where Israel is, is confined at this moment. And what we're going to see is where God shines light is not just Goshen. He makes it very specific where in Goshen he shines that light. But listen to this, because God really has a lot to say about light and darkness. But don't just believe me. I'm going to give you a lot of verses, and I'm going to try to, for the sake of time, here's the sort of the trap, the, the rough part, the catch-22 of being a pastor, is I have like six hours of information I want to give you in an hour, but not speak too fast. But you got that, right? So let me tell you a little bit about what Scripture says about darkness before we actually... First of all, what's the one thing that the Bible says here in Exodus 10 about darkness? Something more than just it was really dark. What else does it say in this text? You could feel it. It was a darkness that could be felt. Any one of you think, oh, that sounds like a really awesome thing. Sign me up. Listen to this. Darkness, for what it's worth, dark and darkness are mentioned in 196 verses in Scripture. The first of them is in Genesis 1, by the way, of course, when darkness was over the face of the deep. The last time, for what it's worth, is in actually Revelation chapter 16, when the fifth bowl judgment is poured out on the throne of the Antichrist. Which, by the way, is something else that could be felt. But for what it's worth, the 196 verses for which dark and darkness are mentioned. Light is mentioned over 300 times. Beginning, of course, right at the beginning when God says, let there be light. But the end of the book, Genesis 22, it ends with it saying, there'll be no more need for any more light. And the reason is because our Lord himself will be our light. We'll never need a sun or a moon or a lamp or a cool torch or anything like that. Jesus will be all the light we need. Did you notice when God creates that he creates light before he creates life? Did you notice that? I think God, well, I'm sure God knows what he's doing. But no life really responds well without it, specifically that of human beings. I did a whole bunch of medical research on the issue of, of light. And here's just a few things for what it's worth. Well, number one, of course, it synthesizes vitamin D. That's really important. But not only does it synthesize vitamin D, but it also balances your hormones. That's really fundamental. Uh, and by the way, that's one of the reasons they think, for instance, people who live in places like, I don't know, London or Seattle, places that somehow tend to be like, all right, goodbye, son, see you next April. Um, they tend to get the sort of winter blues. And one of the reasons is, is that it's more than just your humdrum. There's actually an aspect of, of a hormonal thing. As a matter of fact, have you ever seen places that it's sunny all the time? Have you ever seen that like people are just aren't genuinely grumpy in places like that? It's kind of weird, you know. I mean, there's going to be grumpy people everywhere, but it's per capita. Anyways, you get the idea. But there's more than that for what it's worth, because it also is actually one of the things for that to produce endorphins, and actually helps in the, the production of anti sort of sort of bacterial uh, fighters. For instance, but because of the balance of hormones, by the way, people that live in sunnier places tend not to get diabetes. Um, infertility, by the way, is an issue in regards to hormonal imbalance and cancer. There are places, by the way, where, again, and we're not talking about exposed radiation, but we're talking about just sunlight, general sunlight. More than that, abstract sunlight, where it's not directly beating on you all the time, tends to be that people actually get cancer in, less, uh, in places like that. But the bacterial antibody production, by the way, which helps destroy things like TB and SARS. Do you remember the whole SARS scare? Do some of you remember that? 
That was that respiratory thing that happened. It was really big in China where people were just dying. Well, you know one of the things that they did to help people? Because notice it's really not that big of a deal anymore. was bring them to places where there was less smog and more sun, for what it's worth. Um, Biostimulations, of course. Um, Photodynamic ultraviolet blood irradiations, by the way, increases tactile spatial activity. Um, It also damages, by the way, certain things when you don't have it within your brain, the production of certain types of things in regards to your neurons, which in other words means your brain ceases to function as well in the dark when it's exposed exposed to darkness for a great period of time, which then, of course, creates all kinds of behavior issues as well. It causes progressive loss in those neurons, then it decreases the neuronic activity. In other words, your brain just doesn't work as well. Now, God, in other words, intended you to live in light. But there's more than that. Because God created light before all of that so that, for instance, plants couldn't have survived without light. Light needed to be there before plants could ever have been survived. But if plants couldn't survive, then animals that lived on plants couldn't survive either. And people who lived on animals that lived on plants couldn't survive either. I mean, that's sort of the way the food chain works. God knew what he was doing. He always does. In this, by the way, for what it's worth, listen. Darkness, according to Scripture... Well, Genesis 15, 12 tells us, by the way, that it's a place of fear and horror. What says, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and horror and great darkness fell upon him. According to Exodus 10, as we see here, but also in Revelation 16, 10, it is a place of pain. It says, the kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Let me read that verse again. Listen. The kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. God didn't say there was any other reason for them to gnaw their tongues because of the pain other than this. It was that dark. In Psalm 82, 5, it tells us that it's a place of ignorance and misunderstanding or no understanding. It says they don't know, they don't understand because they walk around in darkness. It's a place of pestilence and sickness. It says in 91, 6, Psalm 91, 6, the pestilence that walks in darkness. In Proverbs 4.19, it tells us that the way of the wicked is like darkness. In 1 John 2.11, it tells us, by the way, and this is very fundamental, it's a place of hatred. It says, he who hates his brother, his brother, walks in darkness, doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And what John says is, in 1 John, you cannot say, I have fellowship with God and walk in darkness. He says, if you do, you lie. And I love this about John. You just know where you stand with him. He says, look, it, you can't, if, if God is light absolutely and there's no darkness in him and you have fellowship with him, you can't be in darkness. Listen to that again. If God is light absolutely and there's no darkness in him and you fellowship with him, you can't be in darkness. That's one of the reasons why we don't sing the line, when I stumble in the darkness. Because I don't stumble in the darkness. According to this, the moment that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I got absorbed in the kingdom of light by the one who is the light of the world. Now, now if I want to hate my brother and then say, well, I'm stumbling in the darkness, God says, well, then stop calling yourself a Christian because people shouldn't be hating each other and calling themselves Christians. Wouldn't that be awesome if we believed that? By the way, according to Ephesians 6.12, it tells us it's a place, by the way, where the spiritual forces are because it says that the principalities and powers of a wickedness that are in the darkness of this age. It's a place of bondage. Psalm 107, verse 10. Those who sat in darkness sat in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons. Jude 6 says, everlasting chains under darkness. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the, mind of the, the minds of the God of this age have blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel would shine in them. That becomes the problem. Now, the problem is this. We are born into darkness. 
And that becomes the problem. And that means this is what our life was like before Jesus. Now, you understand, we weren't created for darkness. We were not created for it. Our bodies weren't created for it. Our minds weren't created for it. Our emotions weren't created for it. We just generally, honestly, were not created for it. We weren't created for it. And that's one of the reasons why kids just have this inane thing. It isn't like you ever find a child that's afraid of the light. No, 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 don't turn on the light. I hate it, I hate it, it scares me. It's the dark that freaks out kids for a reason. But think about what your life was like before you gave your life to Jesus Christ. Fear, horror, pain, ignorance, no understanding, pestilence, sickness, wickedness, hatred, bondage. Now, if you think that hell's a place where a bunch of guys are going to basically get free beer, boy, have you been lied to. What Scripture says is hell is a place of darkness. You say, okay, Mr. Smarty Pants, how can you have flames and darkness? Any of you ever see professional racing? One of the biggest problems they have is a thing they call invisible fire. Have you heard of this? That's when guys jump out of their stock cars because they're on fire and they just look goofy because they're running around smacking themselves and you can't tell why until they realize they're on fire. You just can't see it. And the point I'm bringing up is this, is that you just don't want to go there. You don't want to be in hell. It's a place where it's everything that was never created for you. As a matter of fact, what Scripture says, and don't just believe me, in Matthew 24 and 25, when God separates the sheep and the goats, He says to those that are His own, the sheep, He says, go to the place, the kingdom, prepared for you. That's what He said to those that were His own. To those that He sent to the place of darkness, He said, go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. Do you see the difference? God never built hell for you, and he doesn't want you there. He would rather die than let you go there. And that's what he did. Because he died on the cross, so you didn't have to go there. Please don't miss that. Now, on the other side of that, it's not just darkness. Listen to this. On the other side of that, God can break that darkness. Psalm 107, 14 says, He brought them out of darkness and out of the shadow of death, broke their chains in pieces, in Psalm 18, 9, it says he bowed the heavens and he came down with darkness underneath his feet. In John 1, 5, it says that light shone in the darkness and the darkness literally couldn't get a hand on it. Couldn't get a handhold like wrestling. Couldn't, the written as couldn't comprehend it or couldn't overcome it. The idea is quite simple. Darkness doesn't stand a chance. Dare I say, darkness couldn't hold a candle to the light of Jesus. And here's the beauty of it is that when I come to Jesus, it's over. And when someone tells you, oh no, you're in London, isn't that a dark place? Get cheeky enough to tell them the truth. Not anymore. Because if you are the light of the world, there should be no place that you are that darkness is. Does that make sense? So the, the problem is, and understand, you need to know who's handling the press on this. The enemy is. The enemy would love you intimidated. If you've ever played any sport, you know how this is. The enemy works really hard, or the opponent works really hard at intimidating you, so you don't play your game. So you back off and get a little intimidated, and you're real iffy, and you don't get out there and do it like you're supposed to. And you know what? He's done a really good job. Look at how intimidated the church is. Look at how intimidated you are. Man, if I go out there, though, someone's going to give me a cross look. 
Someone's going to not like me. That person's probably, you know, they probably would have dug my chili, but now they're going to just, oh, you're an idiot. I mean, who cares? The bottom line is I'd rather you like me later when we're in heaven. But it's amazing how we could buy into all that garbage. Let me tell you what Scripture says. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. Okay, simple quiz. How much darkness is in God? Okay, let me, let me ask you that again. There should be more than four of you answering that. Listen to the Scripture. God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. How much darkness is in God? Thank you. Psalm 139, 12. Listen to this. The darkness shall not hide from you, but you... The night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You ever find a place where God's like, I'm not really sure I see really well. It's kind of dark in here. Do you really think God has that moment? Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Listen, there's more. He who follows me. Hands up. Who's followed Jesus? Who follows Jesus? Okay. Again, hands up. Get your hands up. Okay, now listen. This is the part where you get to say something to yourself. If you think I sound really dumb doing it, don't worry. Everyone else will too. Listen, here's the statement. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now listen, this is what I want you to tell yourself. I shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Try it. I shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, I'm just telling you, either you believe Scripture or you don't. If you believe Scripture, booyah! That's what it was. I wasn't making this up. Colossians 1.13, listen to this. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You went from darkness to Jesus. You went from darkness to Jesus. You've been delivered. And He didn't keep the receipt. And it's like, mm, yeah, we'll see. Maybe I'll have to return this. So as a result of that, since you've been delivered from the power and the kingdom of darkness, David could say, and this is David, this is Old Testament stuff. Now, this is 3,000 years ago. Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Listen to that statement again. Cocky little kid he is. But he doesn't say, Don't mess with me. I'm a man of God. Hey. He doesn't say that. Isn't like, hey man, don't mess with me, because like, man, I got like the Holy Spirit, man. And I'm going to, oh man, let's go into demon territory. He's like, look at the Lord is my light, and He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Do you realize, if He's my salvation, He's my bodyguard. He's my front guard. He's my rear guard. He hedges all around me. This isn't about pity the fool who want to take me on. Look at, I'm not even stepping into the ring. Jesus is my guard. So when the devil comes knocking at your door, turn to the new landlord. Say, Jesus, it's for you. It's over. Do you get it? That's what David knew 3,000 years ago. And I believe David knew it more than, than we did. And the reason I say that is, David proved it. Did you? Here we go. Yeah, hallelujah, that's the truth. And then you walk out, it's so dark. Excuse me. You're not standing against a ten and a half foot warrior, I assume. David says, you come after me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come after you in the name of the living God whom you've defied. At that point, you'd say, how could David take down Goliath with a stone? Hey, you bring up God's name like that, he could have taken him down with a marshmallow at that point. 
God's like, that's my boy. Boom! What do you got? A little rock? That'll do. And we're going, I don't know, God. All I got's like a little rock. And God's like, just shut up and throw the rock, will you please? Get your eyes on me. I'm your light. But it's more than that, as if that weren't enough. First John 1, it says this, verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If I'm walking with Jesus, I'm walking in the light. And if I'm walking in the light and you're walking in the light, we get to walk together. Isn't that pretty wild? You know what? I get to look at you and say, Jesus cleansed you from all your sin. And you could look at me and say, Jesus cleansed you from all your sin. And usually what we do is we'll walk next to each other and I'll say, Jesus cleansed me from all my sin. You should work on you though. <laughs> you know? And it's like, you know, and God so desperately wants to transform us. It's so, you know, you watch a couple before they get married and all he can see are her strengths and all she could see is his strengths. And he's, I, but I see my weaknesses and I see her strengths and they get married and that gets flipped, right? All I see are my strengths and her weaknesses now. And it's like somehow we do that as friends. We like, we walk into church and it's like somewhere down the line, it's like, yep, man of God. And just like God loves us all, me perhaps a little more. And, you know, and we don't say that because we don't normally think that, but by the virtue of looking at someone else going, well, I'm sure that God loves me and he tolerates you. You get the idea there's something missing. Now look it, there's more than just your status. But first of all, you better get your status. And your status is, you've been washed in the blood of Jesus and you've been bathed in his light. Permanently. You're bathed in his light. Now, here's, that's why Jesus says, you really want to go and take that thing and put it under a bushel? Do you realize how dumb you look? And you know what? You watch a Christian try to like, hang out in the club, and they look dumb. I'll be honest. Because they're, they, they look as lunatic as they probably are at the moment. Because they know they're not supposed to be there. And inside, they know that. And the Holy Spirit's bothering them. But they're still trying to look cool over that. And you know it. And it's not just there. You know those places because it doesn't just have to be that. Where you're like, you know what? Mm, I'm not really sure I belong here. But I'm, I'm going to tell you how cool it is. Let me tell you, there's a, there's a responsibility to walking into the light. And this is what it says. Romans 13, 12, cast off, therefore, the works of darkness. Why would you want to do those things anymore? See, when you're dumb, like when you're, if you poke yourself in the head with a fork, by the way, I don't know if you know this, there is a place called, um, if I remember correctly, it's called Danse Noir. It's a restaurant, are you aware of this in London? Danse Noir, in the black. And it's a place where you eat your food completely in the dark. Any of you heard of this place? Good luck. Now, I would love to be, a, I'd love to be the chef for that place because presentation doesn't matter, right? Don't, you don't have to put like the little froofy thing on top. No one's going to see it anyways. Make it as ugly as you want. Just make it taste good. But if you poke yourself in a fork with a fork there, yeah, I should have said you should see it coming, but you really shouldn't, right? I mean, it just happens, right? Because it's right. But then, okay, in a place like that, you walk out and like your eyebrows bleeding a little bit or whatever. People go, oh, you've been to Dawson Noir, right? At least there's some reason behind it. But if you were like at McDonald's and, you're, you're, and then you poked yourself with a fork, well, you know, you might even eat that with a fork. But it's like, it's, it's weirder there, right? Because you should be able to see better. Because what's done in the dark is different than what's done in the light. 
the behavior, by the way. He says, those, by the way, listen, he says, people go out and have sex in the dark. Scripture says it. People go out and get drunk in the dark. Scripture says it. So you really want to act like that now? You think somehow God can't see it? First of all, dark's never been dark to him. Even if other people can't see it, he's always been able to see it anyways. So cast those things off. And the good news is God never tells you anything that he can't do through you, right? So you go, but I don't think I can cast these things off, but you told me to. And it's like, well, if you told me to, you're going to have to do it. 1 Corinthians 6.14, oh, don't you love this verse? You'll use it in anyone else but yourself. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And listen, it doesn't end with that. For what fellowship does righteousness have with lawlessness and communion have with darkness? It's like, what do you have in common? What do you have in common with someone that's going to hell right now? But he's cute and he calls himself a Christian? So does Satan. Good luck with that. You really want to play that game? It doesn't work. And you know what's so funny? I've heard this. You can torture the evidence long enough, you can get it to confess whatever you want. And if you try hard enough, you can make anyone a Christian in your head. You could actually, you could, you could clean up a demon if you really want to. But, he's, but in the end of it, I'll just be honest, he's good looking and that's it. She's good looking, she's cute, she's eye candy and you can walk down the street and people are jealous of you. But you know, the, but you know better. But it's not just there. You could get in all kinds of things. Anytime you open up your heart to somebody, then you allow them to influence you and their heart is not sold out to Jesus, expect them to pollute it. And I don't mean to be mean. Love those people. Draw them in. Shower them with the kindness and the love of Jesus. But guard your heart, for goodness sake. Ephesians 5.8 says, You were once, listen, you were once darkness. You weren't just in it. You were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Same chapter, three verses later. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Last thing, and we're going to actually get into our text. I hope this is encouraging to you, because it is to me. Because I hear it all the time. We'll hear people say, you know, from America, oh, Camden, isn't that a dark place? We'll hear it on the subway, on the underground. People will go, oh, you know, it's, that's a dark place. And I'm like, I don't see any darkness there. They're like, but there are, you know, scary things all over the place. I'm like, they lost. But there's like demons. I'm like, yeah, but my God made them and he lives in me. Now, I probably sound like crazy to them, but at least one thing, there's like, well, hats off to this. At least he's not intimidated by it. It's like, you know what? Every one of those things, if they have a knee, is going to bow to Jesus. I just did it early. How about you? Matthew 5.14 says, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. By the way, here's the funniest part. You ready for this? God, doesn't to, God does not intend to hide you. He transformed you for a reason. And he actually, according to Scripture, you are his masterpiece performance art because he says you are his poema created for good works which God prepared beforehand that you would walk in okay now think about that for a second that means it's performance art that you would walk in them you're not hanging on a wall and someone goes whoa nice perspective good choice of colors the way you behave is a masterpiece that's the strangest thing and in that understand the world is desperate 
stumbling around and hurting each other because they're walking in darkness. And you know the funny thing is, God keeps putting you up on a hill and you keep running down it. Don't you? And he puts you up on the hill and you keep running down. He's like, no, 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 no. I don't want people to see me that way. I don't, they're going to judge me. Ironic, right? They're going to judge me by calling me judgmental. That's my favorite, right? You're judgmental. You judge me to say that. What? Yeah, you get it. All right. Follow me on this. He says, look it, you're the light of the world. Where do you take a light? What do you do with it? You can take it down here if you really just, you know, you're in an airline and you want to figure out where your exits are. But otherwise, it should be up somewhere so you can see. In the tabernacle, it was only one light. And if that light went out, you wouldn't be able to get anywhere. And now look it. Whether you know it or not, he doesn't say you're a light of the world. He says you're the. You're it. So if the world's dark, understand darkness will never be the overcomer of light. It's only the absence of it. You can decide exactly how much you want to generate. In Acts 26, 18, and I'm almost done. I've only got two more of these. When he said, I send you, the ministry, he says, to open the eyes, open their eyes, in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are being sanctified by faith in me. Now follow me on this. Listen, 1 Peter 2, 9. This is my favorite of this. You're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. His own special people that you may proclaim, listen, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. You should be so stoked about it, you should be rabid. You should be running around telling people and not even know that you're saying it because you're so excited about it. You're like, but I'm kind of a mellow person. Well, that's good. Then you can do that mellowly. But you get the idea. And the point's simple. The Lord really, really has done so much in our lives that we take so much for granted if you're anything like me. Back in our text, God has no problem, by the way, shutting the light off. By the way, it's not Ra, it's not Amun Ra, it's God. He's got it all handled. So back in our text, and we'll do this quickly because it actually does. If you were considered the cattle of God's people, of the gods, the question really is, to whom do you belong? God didn't create you just so that you can roam around and moo and graze on this earth aimlessly for his entertainment. In 1 Corinthians 6, it tells us you were bought at a price. What price were you bought at? The precious blood of Jesus Christ. He bled to purchase you. That was the cost. So he says, stretch out your hand, and now the darkness is felt. Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Three days. You have to sit there and do nothing. Well, what did they do? Look at verse 23, back in Exodus. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But... So all the Egyptians are staying home. Now, up to this point, I'm not sure whether the Israelites are still working. One thing's for sure, they're not harvesting much once the hail came, but, and certainly after the locusts. But one thing I'm sure of here, they've got a few days off now because their taskmasters aren't leaving their houses. And says they didn't leave their house for three days, but the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Now, here's my question. Ready? And I'd like you to respond with confidence because you respond with Scripture. Where did the Israelites have light? Okay, now how about the rest of you? Where did they have light according to this verse? 
and their dwellings. Don't miss that. It doesn't say that God just shone it all over Goshen, which could be cool and freaky, right? It's kind of like, imagine, it's sort of like, here's Goshen, it's dark, it's light, it's dark, it's light. But that's not it. The darkness was everywhere but in the houses of God's people. And can I just say, I think God really wants to start there. The enemy's worked so hard at destroying the households of God's people, hasn't he? And so what you got are everyone's divorcing everyone for someone else. is sort of like the next thing will be like five-year contracts on marriage, you know, with an option to renew, maybe, you know. And it's like, yeah, by the time you're done, it's like parents are like, well, whatever, you know, let kids make their own choices. Yeah, but part of what we're supposed to do is raise our children in the ways of the Lord. You know, it's like, and I, and I look at this, beloved, and I just think, what would it be like for people to look and actually be able to tell whose house belonged to the Lord by the light that came from it? I mean, they just walked through the neighborhood and went, that's the house. How is it? It's probably not just because it's got a Merry Christmas wreath on the, on the front door. There's got to be more than that. It's not just because we're not hanging a skeleton on the 31st of October. It's got to be more than that. Part of that is, is that the Lord really wants to explode from our homes into the rest of the world because he wants to take all his Egyptians with him too. Pharaoh called to Moses, which I thought would be funny. Can you imagine sending a servant? I mean, in other words, he must be staying in the house of Pharaoh too. And he's like, get up, go find Moses. Are you serious? Yeah, go find Moses. Now, if I were the servant, I'd think, how could he know? I'm going, I'm going to go see if I can find him. You're still here. I know you're still here. I can hear you not moving. All right. But imagine what it would be like for that servant. And that's how much, by the way, God loves this servant. He's got to stumble through Egypt, stumble through Egypt, get to the door and knock on it and go, whoa, 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 there's light coming out of that house. Now, now think about this for a second, because it's more than just a visual thing. If the darkness is a darkness that could be felt, when you get near the light, does it feel different too? Would it feel different? I mean, I wonder. That's how much God loves this servant, that this servant's going to look and go, oh man, I don't, have to, I don't want to go back to go not see Pharaoh. Um, Moses, Moses, really sorry, but Pharaoh would like to sort of see you. So he comes, and, yeah, verse 24. Pharaoh called to Moses and he said, Go serve the Lord. Notice by this point, Pharaoh's no longer calling him anything but the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you. Moses said, No, 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 no. You must also give us sacrifices for the burnt offerings. Now stop, stop. A couple quick things here before we bring this to a close. Through this particular time, Pharaoh's gotten to the point where he's almost cried uncle. Do we have that expression here? Cry uncle. You know, it's like, well, you're done. You're like, okay, I, I give up, I give up. You win. This is the fourth of four compromises. And please hear me on this. And I've waited to this point to develop it to a small amount just because I really want us to get it. Back in chapter 8, the first time, by the way, was when the flies just nail through. Remember, they're eating your skin. They're laying their babies, their larvae under your skin. And Pharaoh says, look it, I'll let you go. But why don't you go and worship here in Egypt? His response was in verse 26 when he said, It's not right to do so. 
we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Now understand, the idea is, we're going to be obviously offering some form of sacrifice, and if we offered the cows, you worship the cows. That would upset you guys, wouldn't it? We we're killing your gods. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, won't they stone us? The second one then, in the same text, by the way, in verse 28, he says, okay, 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 okay. I'll compromise a little bit more. You can go, but just don't go very far. Then the third one came, by the way, in chapter 10, verse 8. At this point, now we're at the locusts. And he says, all right, I'll let you go, but, but which of you are going to go? And he says, what do you mean? We're all going to go. Pharaoh's response to that, by the way, is, listen, the Lord better be with you if everyone's going to go. You want the adults to go, the adults can go. Kids stay here. That was the third of them. Now here's the fourth one. The first one, again, stay where you are. Stay close. The second one, okay, stray close. First one, stay here, and then don't go far. Just come stay stray close. Then the third one, we'll go ahead and snuff people. Go ahead and just leave your kids. And then the fourth one, okay, well now just leave your stuff. Now see, this is what Pharaoh knows, and please don't miss this, because I genuinely believe the enemy, God has just brought this to light for every one of us to see. See, God wants to deliver you. Did you get that part first? God, does, God doesn't want you just, God doesn't want to make you a nicer person in Egypt. That's not his plan. God wants to deliver you out of Egypt. But to deliver you out of Egypt, he wants to deliver all of you out of Egypt. And to deliver all of you out of Egypt means everything goes. And everything goes to him. That's what it means. So this is what happens. And, you, and by the way, as a pastor for over 20 years, I see it in people and it makes me so angry. Because it works. And it works. If somewhere down the line you go, I don't have to do all that, do I? So this is what it starts with. Well, you know what? Jesus just came to make your life a little nicer. He came to be kind of like the really, really good crouton on your salad. He's not going to take over anything. He's not going to be boss. He just came to kind of not let you go to hell. Super nice guy, carry the lamb, really doesn't have any say in your life. And that's, that's, that's Pharaoh saying, well, why don't you just stay here and do it? I mean, you're still, you know, you could still be in bondage. You can still be a slave. But go ahead and do your little sacrifice. Go ahead and do your little religion. Play your religion game, but don't let it change you. And there are churches built on that. Where the whole thing is, let's just be who we are. Selfish, self-consumed. It's the church of me. It's all about me. Do the things my way. It starts to sound like a Burger King commercial after a while, right? And we sing, I surrender all. As long as you're here to bless me. Make me healthy, make me wealthy, give me my car, give me a house. And what happens is God says, I have a way of, of actually fixing that. It's called a trial. And then they, those same guys will teach you that you have to forgive God for what? That's like actually forgiving your doctor for surgically removing your cancer because it caused a scar. You know, meanie. You know, if you were nice, you just would have be well. God's like, no, 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 I'm way into removing you out of Egypt. So that's the first of them. That's the first of the four. And by the way, let me ask you honestly, is that where you're at at the moment? Where you still think somehow you should be the Lord of your life and Jesus should just be the kind, nice little Savior throwing candy and pixie dust on you every once in a while to bless you? Well, then you've suckered into Pharaoh's first call. You haven't even gotten through stage two. This is like spiritual ultimate wipeout, right? You've only, you haven't made it through the qualifier round. 
It's the second stage. Well, what's, what's that one? Well, you can go, but Bjorn, don't go very far. Well, what does that mean? It's like, well, don't go overboard with this stuff. You know, can you just be like kind of a mellow, kind of just a Christian in your own little bubble? Can you like, you know, sing Kumbaya in your own little corner, but don't bother me with it, right? I mean, don't go far. And see what Pharaoh knows is if you don't go very far, well, you'll go back. Because what happens is everything that was your bondage is still within arm's reach, right? So what does that mean? Well, that means now it's like, okay, well, again, I did give my life to Jesus, but you know what? We're still going to have a few beers with the boys, and we're still going to go out and scope the girls here, and we're still going to go out and... But, I, but Jesus is here to forgive me. He's my Lord, but I'm going to play the cheap grace card, which is, oh, he's always, you know, it's like, just do it and ask for forgiveness. And, and God's like, do you really think, are you, are you buying this? Because I'm not. I bought you. Don't go far. Don't go far with it. Just be a little, you could change a little, okay? Okay, so go ahead and get a couple, like, Christmas CDs. Isn't that Christian anyways, right? Maybe a Christian shirt, but don't let it irritate anyone. Okay, you can go to church. But just don't take it out. Just keep it in your box. It's the second one, isn't it? Well, then we get to the third one. And maybe you've made it past the qualifier and the second eliminator. Then we get to the third one. The third one is, hey, you know what? Okay, you can go. Just don't let it involve any of the people you love. You know, keep it to yourself. So don't you dare share it with your kids. Don't you dare. Yeah, they're not going to like it. So you're right. You should just be silent. Because you say you love them, so love them enough to let them go to hell without you telling them how they could get out of that. Love them enough to let them to stay in that bondage. I mean, after all, wouldn't it just be awesome if you just snuck out of Egypt and left them all there? Yeah, that'd be really cool. So they could still be beat by the by the slave masters. But go ahead and send them an email every once in a while, telling them how much you love them. I'm sure they'll agree with you. Really? you know how easy that is? Do you know, the problem is it just seems like Pharaoh's constantly saying that. It isn't like he says it once to us, is it? Come on, don't be an irritation. That guy's already irritated by you being a second level Christian, for goodness sakes. Now you want to take it up a level to third? Well, you actually want to tell him about it? No, look it. One of the girls that was in our fellowship who, by the way, was a professional pianist, she told me a story about her piano teacher, who was a Romanian piano teacher. And he asked a couple of questions, who, by the way, claimed to be an atheist, from all I understood the, the, the piano teacher was. And, he, and, and as she was taking this lesson, he asked her, can I ask you a question? And he goes, yeah, he goes, are you, are you Christian? She said, well, well, yeah, actually. And she had been taking lessons from her for years. And he goes, so do you really believe that Jesus is really the only way to salvation? And she's like, well, yeah, actually, I, I do believe that. She goes, so do you believe if you don't give your life to Jesus, then you go to hell? And she's like, uh-oh, here comes the fight, right? And she's like, well, yeah, yeah, I do. And he goes, so how come you never told me? How would you like to hear that? And it's like, you know what? I honestly think we all kind of need to get spanked a little bit like that. And here's the thing. I can't honestly tell somebody that doesn't know Jesus I love them if I really am not concerned about the most important thing. Now, I'm not here to lay a guilt trip. I'm here just to be honest. Hey, look it. If you don't accept the gift of Jesus Christ, you can walk into hell. I don't want you there. And don't be angry and say that God sent you there. He gave you a choice. He gave you the faculty and the ability to choose. What are you going to do with that? Don't blame him. 
Right? Here's the strange thing. It's like, I invite you into my house, you choose not to, and you'd rather dance on the street and you get run over and you want to blame me. And I'm standing at my, at my house with the door open. You're going, oh, nasty, whatever. What did you want me to do? Move my house to the street? Oh, come on, don't do that. No, look, here's the thing. But, but let's be honest. Could you just say, but, but I'm scared? Well, what are you scared of? That they'd be angry at you? Oh, man, let them be angry with you now and not later when they stand before the, God, the throne of God and look and go, you never said you never told me? Now look at God knows. If they'd say yes, he's going to send someone, just be the person that he sends. So here's the last of them. Do you see how serious this is? Because imagine, what if Pharaoh just, what if Moses had gone, yeah, yeah, that's good enough, because he almost did what the second one, by the way. But God didn't let it happen. So the fourth one, he's like, well, okay, look at Let yourself be sanctified. Just don't worry about your stuff. Leave all your stuff out of it your job, you know, your, your DVDs, everything you possess. Let that be, you know, let, let that be kind of a dark place for you. You can just do whatever you want with that. And you're like, oh, come on, that's judgmental. That's, you know, that's legalistic. Look, it's not legalistic if God puts it on your heart. It's legalistic, I tell you, my convictions have to be everyone's. If the Bible says it's wrong, there's nothing legal about saying it's wrong. The Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. It's different when it's like, look it, well, how do you stand on this issue when it's an issue of judgment? And at that point, it's like, look it, here's where I stand on it. I'm not going to tell you, you have to do the same. But I will say this. That when we give our life to Jesus, here's the ironic thing. If I gave Jesus my heart, there should be no argument over anything else. Does that make sense? So I've learned this. Though loss can make you stupid, love can make you silly. Love can make you do something that you would never do. As a man, love could make you do something you would never do under any other circumstance. Take out your wallet. Let's be honest, you know. I know. <laughs> no. Well, it's like, I don't mean that in a mean way. I don't mean that in a mean way. <coughs> and this is, you know, follow me. Follow me on this. It's like, it just doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't matter. It isn't like, hey, 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 it's my money. Hey, it's my stuff. It's my whatever. Because the bottom line is when someone has your heart, that stuff's just not as important anymore. I still got a Jeep with a went back in the States, I got a Jeep with a, you know, that was manual. And the guy said, why did you buy a manual? And my wife walks in, she goes, I, I can't drive manual. He goes, oh, I get it. <laughs> but I mean, look at, the reason I say this, and we're, we're here to close, but listen, listen, please, please hear me on this. If we really tell Jesus that he has our heart and he has everything, are we still fighting him over stupid things? But God, I have tickets to this. But you have all of me. But God, you can't touch this relationship. But you have all of me. But this is what I want to do in life. But you have all of me. But this is my value system. But you have all of me. I really believe that some people don't want to give their life to Christ because what they see are Christians who just don't really believe what they say. What would it be like if someone really, to be honest, really did this? And said, but this hurts. But you have all of me. And Pharaoh says, come on, man, back off. Stop being so radical. Yeah, can you imagine if he said that to Jesus? Oh, wait a minute, he did. You know, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. You don't have to go to the cross, Jesus. Come on, that's really radical. And don't you think that's going overboard? What will people say when you hang there naked? 
And you're unrecognizable because of the way they beat you. When they spit on you as you walk through the gauntlet. I mean, do you really, do you want to carry all that shame? You want to be rejected by people? You want to be the joke? Do you realize 2,000 years later, people who don't know you are going to use your name as a curse word? Do you want that? People who claim to follow you aren't going to even have any interest in who you really are or your lordship. Do you really want that? Come on, I'll just give it to you all now. Back off of the crazies. And I can't help but think that Jesus flashed in his mind and he saw my face. And he went, No! He's too worth it. I'm not going to back off of this. He's too worth it. And so was he. He's too worth it for me to go mamby pamby and pansy on my faith. He's too worth it for me to go, oh, I'm afraid that someone will call me a name. He's too worth it for me to back down and leave my stuff or leave my kids or not go far. You can decide for yourself. But Pharaoh says, come on, be reasonable. Moses says this, look at, I don't even know what we have to sacrifice, so we're bringing everything. And look at, in the end of it all, when you stand before God, He's never going to look at your perfection, only the perfection of your sacrifice. What do you have to offer God that's perfect? Your works, have they always been done perfectly well? With the perfect intention, perfectly executed? Good luck with that. Scripture says this. 1 Peter 1.18 says, You were not redeemed with corruptible things like gold or silver from your aimless conduct received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish, without spot. Perfect. Hebrews 10.12 says that he offered one sacrifice for sins forever and now is at the right hand of, the, uh, right hand of God. That one sin was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect blood of the perfect lamb, perfectly done, perfectly executed, and Jesus stands beside me. So when God looks and he wants to say, what's your sacrifice? There's no question. It's perfect because it's his own son. And I could stand before him and say, hallelujah, it's done. It is finished. It is paid for in full. And I am I'm free. I'm free from the bondage of darkness. I'm free from the power of, of, of Pharaoh and from the enemy. And I can stand before God and say, my sacrifice is perfect. And I'm going to go and serve God. And I'm going to bring my sacrifice with me everywhere I go. The good news is that he's going to go with me whether I like him to or not. Verse 27 says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. He continued to strengthen his resolve. Why? Because God's not done. He's got one more thing. The one left to take down is Pharaoh himself. And that's what our next one is. And he would not let him go. And then Pharaoh said, Get away from me! Which, by the way, I don't know if he even knows how close Moses is, because he can't see, right? Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more. A bit ironic. For in the day that you see my face, you shall die. And he's like, yeah, you're looking good today. Moses said, you've spoken well. I'll never see your face again. Which basically sounds like the two of them are done. Well, is that going to happen? Will Moses see his face again? Well, that we're going to have to read next week on. But I want to pray. Now, we have looked at, we've mowed through some heavy lawn here today. 
But I want to ask you as we go to prayer, first of all, Christians, are you still dealing with the compromises? Are you still thinking, you know what? Okay, this part's God's, this part's mine, but he has all my heart. I doubt it. Now understand, I would never say that to you and not say it to me. I want the Lord to have all of me. And I'll be honest, that's not easy. And and that's a choice I have to regularly make because there are things bidding for my heart all the time. And still, you know, it's like, and you get that, you know, you could still be kind of a good Christian and do that. Yeah, but am I going to be, am I going to, but does he still have all my heart? Oh, well, don't go far. Just stay here. Let Jesus just be a servant instead of your master. Stay in Egypt. Stay, stay in bondage. Stay the person you are. Wow. Beloved, my God's into deliverance. And he wants you to hate Egypt as much as he does because he's into t- to getting you out and he doesn't want you going back. And by this point, the land is decimated. The people are defiled. What's the only thing left is to leave. Christians, I'm speaking to you and to me. Are we really willing to be in the world but not of it? Are we still busy trying to make our big splash here but have no real impact on eternity? Lastly, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, and maybe it's not been made clear to you, maybe it has. And maybe you've got all of your your ducks lined up for all of your excuses, but in the end of it all, God's going to whittle those things away because He wants you and He loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to be relentless. You might as well surrender. Save yourself the wasted days. And he wants you, and he wants to deliver you out of the darkness, out of that bondage, out of that pain, and out of that suffering, and that regret, and that, the ignorance, and all of the things that come with it. And we know what it's like, those who've said yes to Jesus, to all of a sudden you're like, wow, this has never looked so clear. I can't believe this ever looked good. It certainly doesn't now. And he really shows what the truth is. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just want to thank you so much for the gift of your son. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the way that you have delivered us out of darkness. And But Lord, if you're a light, how could you possibly not? The moment we clung to you, Lord, we were engulfed in light. And Lord, we don't want to be spiritually blind. We don't want to be spiritually ignorant. We want to be real with you. And God, I just want to confess to you, it's a real battle to not compromise. But Lord, you're worth it. Thank you for not compromising because of your love for me. Thank you for your infinite love for me that wants me and compels me and draws me. So Lord, I just come to you today And I just pray for every believer in here, myself included, that you get our heart out of Egypt, our mind out of Egypt, and you make us something so radically different, Lord, that everything we do, every talent we exert, every skill we we possess and exercise, that we do it in such a way, Lord, that we shine for you. And that our houses, God, I pray for the sanctity of our houses. Deliver us, Lord, from complacency, from indifference, from apathy. God, deliver us from any bondage and every bondage that our houses would shine the way you intended for them to. 
And Lord, in that, you've told us in, in the book of Isaiah 60, to arise and shine for your light has come and your glory has risen upon us. And though darkness covered the earth, Lord, but now you've caused your light to shine. And in that, Lord Jesus, shine through us. If you set us on a hill, may we shine on that hill. May we not be crawling under a basket or a bushel. And in that, Lord, make us the people you ordained for us to be full on, hardcore, absolutely yours. And even here, God, you know if there be any or many who have not said yes to you. And if today you're, you know you've never said yes, you've been fighting it, and you've got all your reasons why Christianity is a nutty thing or whatever, but in the end of it all, Jesus keeps breaking through all that, and He says, but I want you and I love you, please say yes to me. I'm going to pray a prayer and ask you to listen. And if you say yes at the end, if you say amen at the end, what you're saying is, okay, let that prayer be my prayer. So be it in my life. And here it is. God, I come to you. And I come to you, Lord, as a person who's in darkness. I've sinned. I've done wrong. But you and your infinite love for me died on the cross so that I would no longer have to live in darkness so that I could be yours from this point forward. And so I say yes. I say yes to your gift, declaring you as my Lord and Savior. And I surrender myself to you and I say, have me. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross to pay for everything I've ever done and will do wrong, thought, felt, intended. I believe on the third day you rose again, just like you promised you would, just like Scripture promised you would. And you offer me new life now. So in that new life, I say yes and I say, have me. I am yours. Take my life now. Remove me out of my own Egypt and make me the person you intend. Jesus, be my perfect sacrifice from this point forward and also be my Lord and Master. I surrender my heart and my life to you that you would rule the way you deserve to rule. Jesus, in your name. If you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Thank you.